Hi, I'm Rajiv. Hi, I'm Venkat. And this is Dharmology. Namaste, Venkat. Namaste, Rajiv. India amended its Citizenship Act earlier this year, and all hell broke loose. But to my surprise, it seems to be the case even in the United States. I have not heard or know of anything from halfway around the world make such an impact and ruckus in the domestic politics of the United States, perhaps since Vietnam. What's going on? What's the big deal about CAA? CAA is basically an amendment to the Indian Citizenship Act that expedites the process for obtaining citizenship for persecuted minorities um, of Indic religions, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, and and even Christians that have been uh, persecuted and essentially ethnically cleansed out of the neighboring Islamic republics of Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Bangladesh. And it, it essentially only applies to people that have come to India from these countries before 2014. And it, it, it's primarily um, you know, applicable to people who have already taken refuge in India and have been in India for a long period of time but have um, kind of been in limbo because they don't have any official status in India. And uh, one, one thing to note is that CAA was, um, or, or these uh, um, basically um, providing refuge to persecuted um, non-Muslims in these neighboring countries was something that was discussed and talked about by governments in India um, since independence. Hmm. So, Rajiv, I was wondering, has the United States passed any law that is similar to the CAA? One that comes to my mind is uh, what's known as the Lautenberg Amendment, um, so the history there is that United States has a uh, refugee admission admissions program. It's called USRAP, USRAP. And around the early 90s, uh, we wanted to get some people of uh, Jewish faith or even evangelical Christians or uh, Ukrainian Catholics and adherents of other Orthodox religions out of Eurasia and Baltic states. And uh, what we did was we basically, um, in around 1990, um, said, well, here's a population of Jews from USSR. Uh, We want to bring them to the United States, and therefore we should fast track uh, their paperwork or or immigration process under the USRAP program. So that legislation, which is called the uh, uh, Lautenberg Amendment, created a freedom route for the persecuted religious minorities from around the world. And the reason I call it around the world is because it also included people such as the Baha'is 
from Iran, um, although it was primarily crafted to bring home to bring Jews from the former Soviet Union um, uh, regions. Um, so yeah, we have a precedence for that in the United States. Venkat, so why is it acceptable with, with that said about Lautenberg uh, Amendment? Why do you think it is acceptable for the United States to adopt something like the Lautenberg Amendment, but not acceptable for India to pass CAA? So, I, I, you know, if one were to ask um, that question and, and come up with a rational answer, there is no rational answer to it um, because, you know, it, it's perfectly valid to, to create a law to help or to provide refuge to persecuted minorities that are, um, and the, the, the persecution of whom is well documented. But I think it, it's all about timing. So the um, the media, the, the 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 mainstream media in the United States, and is is basically got this viewpoint that the majority community is always the oppressor, and minorities are the oppressed, and therefore they view any laws passed in India that benefits the majority community as they view it as being biased or anti-Muslim. And and that could be the only reason that I can think of. And in this case, it's kind of a weird um, stance to take because these people are actually minorities, if not super minorities, in the neighboring Islamic countries, um, which have, um, over time, since India's independence, ethnically cleansed um, all non-Muslim, uh, um, uh, not all, but, but uh, a large segment of the non-Muslim population of their countries. And this is well um, or readily visible in the demographic data and is also very well documented in various human rights reports and um, reports in various newspapers. So, you know, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but basically there is no rational reason to say why India cannot pass the CAA, because it's really an act of compassion. Mm. Now, to add something to what you just said, the numbers we are talking about are roughly close to about 25 to 30 million Hindus uh, who have been wiped out uh, either through genocide or ethnic cleansing in uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Bangladesh since India's independence, which is about 70 years. So we are essentially talking about half a million Hindus uh, going missing every year for the last 70 years. That's what the numbers roughly roll up to. Or, or chunk down to. The context I wanted to add to CAA a little bit here is that this was the fear of the leaders 
around independence of India to begin with when India was partitioned, which is that they realized that inherent in the demand of a two-state solution, which is India and Pakistan, which was primarily an ask for a separate country for Muslims, the leaders of secular republic of India always feared for the non-Muslim minorities in Pakistan and their well-being. So very early on, around I think 1955, when CAA was first uh, brought into uh, existence, the goal was to bring the religious minorities, which is the Christians, the Zoroastrians, the Jains, the Buddhists, Hindus, Sikhs, to India and, and, be, and be eligible for India's citizenship if they were persecuted ever in these countries. Well, who knew that the numbers would be so high, but that being the case, um, India has done, in my opinion, it has lived, lived up to its promise of securing human rights and giving citizenship to the minorities of these countries where they are being persecuted. But rather than admonish the Islamic Republic of Pakistan and Islamic Republic of Afghanistan or the Islamic Republic of Bangladesh, rather than admonishing them and the governments for not being able to take care of its religious minorities, our media and our politicians are, are branding India as intolerant. What, how do you explain that? Yes, that's, that's a very good observation. Um, I, I would, you know, to sum it up in a single word, I would say ridiculous. They've gone to, they've come up with all these very far-fetched characterizations to portray the CAA as a anti-Muslim law, when in fact it is meant to protect and give a way for people who have been ethnically cleansed out of neighboring Islamic states um, some, you know, to, to give them a, a status within India. And, um, you know, they've, they've come up with very far-fetched, um, ridiculous characterizations where, where they're basically claiming, making claims such as this is just the first step to trying to revoke the citizenship of the Muslims um, in India and, and trying to push them out of India. Um, there has been no such effort. Um, th there's no documented evidence of that. And, um, you know, whereas there is well-documented evidence of, of non-Muslims being ethnically cleansed um, out of all the three neighboring Islamic republics. Um, so, you know, any discerning consumer of news um, would have to really question the basis for the characterization that has been um, promoted in the mainstream media, 
in the United States and in Europe um, and even some of the English media in India. Hmm. The most surprising aspect of all of this, this entire situation to me is that there are U.S. policymakers such as Pramila Jaipal um, and many more who are chastising India for CAA and ignoring some of the very basic foundational aspects that they as lawmakers themselves should be reviewing thoroughly. Basic aspects like CAA does not change anything about citizenship of existing Indian citizens. Aspects such as CAA still allows provision for person of any faith from anywhere in the world to apply and get citizenship of India. Aspects such as that even in the case of persecuted religious minorities from the neighboring Islamic republics, this law applies only to those who have landed in India as refugees or asylees prior to 2014. Now, I'm very surprised that U.S. lawmakers, people who live and breathe legal documents, who have staff reviewing thousands of pages of legislation and doing all the homework, are blatantly ignoring these aspects of CAA. And not only that, they don't seem confused, but rather very deliberate of mischaracterizing and misportraying what CAA is. Why would they be doing that? M many of these politicians are acting out of self-interest. So in the case of Pramila Jaipal, she is trying to curry favor with some of the most radical elements of the Democratic Party, uh, members of the squad. And so in order to do that, she has to um, boost her um, progressive credentials. And uh, unfortunately, um, being progressive means you have a fixed frame of reference with respect to who are victims and who are the victimizers. And, you know, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party has basically accepted it um, or, or formulated an axiom that Hindus are the oppressors, no matter what the facts on the ground say. And so they are operating out of that fixed frame of reference. And that, that is why they're taking these um, positions, uh, or they're taking a, 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 a very strong position against the CAA. And they're, they're you know, cleverly avoiding any discussion about the actual facts on the ground, the uh, persecution of non-Muslims in the Islamic states neighboring India. And, uh, you know, they're not responding to any direct questions that are posed to them about that. 
Um, in fact, the, you know, the, the media is hand in glove with them and is not asking any difficult questions. But when, when, you know, someone asks them at a town hall meeting or other uh, places, they try to deflect this and, you know, basically label anyone that asks such a question as some kind of a Hindu nationalist or, or Trump supporter. Um, and that, that is the way, uh, or, or an Islamophobe. So this is this is how they they are handling this issue. Now, recently, city of uh, Saint Paul, Minneapolis, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, and looks like Chicago will happen as well. Uh, these city councils passed anti-CAA resolutions condemning the government of India. Why are various city councils passing resolutions that are not in their purview, that is not their jurisdiction, that's not the business what they have been elected for? What is, what is their motivation behind this? I think that um, in this... Uh, at this point in time, um, the, the population of the United States is heavily divided. You know, there are people that are um, strong supporters of Trump, and there are others who utterly um, hate Trump. And they are basically um, controlling the dialogue. And a lot of the, um, what I would call, uh, you know, very liberal cities, in America, their um, councils um, have been um, a, a lot of these sort of extreme left elements have basically um, joined city councils, and and they're moving these city councils farther and farther to the left, rather than um, having them sort of in the center where they probably should be. Uh, and and so as a result of these um, sort of more um, uh, sort of uh, leftist elements um, joining city government, these city governments have uh, started going beyond their in, in the intended scope for those governments and started delving into foreign policy and passing resolutions such as the anti-CAA resolutions. And I think this this is being promoted by the current climate in the United States, and they kind of view it as a way of rebuking the Indian government, um, which they view as being um, having friendly relationships, relationship with the Trump administration. Mm. Rajiv, um, can you expand and provide some more color with respect to why various city councils are passing anti-CAA resolutions and, and perhaps um, highlight some prominent um politicians who have participated in these 
anti-CAA initiatives at the city government level? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to prominent city-level politicians, I don't think I will name one because, A, um, they are not prominent enough, as is the assumption in the question. They're not prominent enough at this point. But more importantly, that in itself is why the anti-CAA resolutions at the city level are even more dangerous. And what I mean by that is is that uh, there are city council members and city councils that you would have not connected as having anything to do with India and India's internal matters, uh, and yet they are popping all over um, trying to pass resolutions uh, opposing India or condemning India. Um, And that in itself is a worrying sign. Now, don't get me wrong, because what is behind these not-so-well-known council members and politicians is are or are are rather big names uh, of organizations such as um, Council of American Islamic Relations, uh, CARE, or uh, organizations such as Equality Labs. So rather than highlight prominent members of the council, I would point out CARE and Equality Labs as uh, at least these two as the two most prominent organizations that are at this point um, working against the interests of Hindus and, and India. Now, I think what is happening is is that, as you pointed out, while the politics in the country is at its divisive worst, the machinery that was already active, uh, which was in the 80s and the 90s uh, and early 2000s, very active, uh, being pro Palestine and anti-Israel has sort of come together um, in opposing Modi and with Trump's association with Modi has only increased its vitriol and resolve to oppose anything that has got to do with Modi or or India. Now their strategy is, is to align deeply with the progressive movement and the progressive parts of the Democratic Party. And, uh, and blend the, their Islamist agenda with progressive movement and it's an either or, or situation which is you are either with them or you are um, uh, not with them uh, it, uh, or you are against them, so to say. So at this point even though the progressive wing of the Democratic Party may not uh, intentionally have uh, anything to do with, uh, with anti-India resolutions, uh, they are being forced and cornered um, into, into, or being coerced, rather, into supporting uh, that, that uh, anti-India uh, movement, so to say, in the party. And... This has been well integrated in the progressive movement from the city, state, local level to the state and and federal. So across the board, 
uh, at this point, basically, the, the Islamists have uh, made sure that uh, they join hands with the progressives, and, uh, and, and this is an important issue for them. That's how I see it. So I have a follow-up question here. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Hindu-Americans, both as individuals and um, their organizations that represent their interests, have responded to these anti-CAA initiatives and um, whether their their response um, has been um, achieved any any uh, successful outcomes it's a it's a mixed report card uh, i think it would be unjust to say that there has been no significant um, outcome of the uh, of the of the work that the hindu organizations and individual hindu leaders have done to defeat these resolutions or to prevent these resolutions from becoming resolutions but at the same time, I think uh, that the Hindu community was caught quite off guard by this happening, primarily for two reasons. One is that they were never correlating um, anything to do with foreign politics or domestic policies of another country uh, to, to, to have any correlation with the local city council um, agenda items. That was one. And I think the second thing that happened was that uh, these resolutions started to come out of centers where, or urban centers where there is significant Indian population as well. So for example, Seattle and San Francisco, which has significant Indian and significant Hindu population. So these two things are quite um, disturbing for the Hindu community. Now, is there a plan to do anything about it? I do not know. Should it be dealt with? I don't know that either. Uh, but is this a significant enough issue for us to worry about? Uh, definitely yes. So Rajiv, so far we've covered many elements of the CAA issue. We've described what the CAA is, who it applies to, and what time period it covers. We've contrasted it with a similar law in the United States. We've discussed how the Western media and political opposition to it has surfaced. And we've outlined reasons for that strong opposition. And we also talked about the response of the Hindu community to the anti-CAA actions. So I wonder, you know, given all of this, what should our listeners take away from this discussion? And what I'll do is I'll tell you my view first, and then I want to hear your view mm -hmm. on this. My view is that listeners should learn that the anti-CAA and the anti-Article 370 events that preceded it, constitute a big wake-up call for Hindus. They should learn that inaction has a price. You know, simply put, if Hindus don't tell others what they value and what they stand for in a proactive manner rather than in a reactive manner, then those who have no regard for Hindus 
we'll talk about what Hindus believe in and what they stand for. So muted action or inaction allowed the media to paint Hindus as aggressors, people who believe in fanciful notions, people who are unscientific. And there are some like Krishna Dave Kalamur of the Atlantic, um, who even went as far as uh, painting Hindus as cow urine drinkers. And now he got rewarded for that by uh, being hired by NPR, a taxpayer-funded media outlet. So, you know, in essence, I, I wonder if more Hindus are going to continue to be passive abreast, uh, sorry, if, if most Hindus are going to continue to be passive abre- uh, observers, or if more of them are going to say enough is enough and show that they have some semblance of self-respect. That's my view. What is your view? Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a good point. I think that we have, especially in the immigrant Hindu community, reached a point in time where enough is enough is visible. It's visible in conversations. It's visible on social media. It's visible in opinion articles. um, And everywhere uh, you hear Hindus expressing their frustrations. Now, a lot of immigrant Hindus in the United States, especially those who came here in the 80s and the 90s and even early 2000s, probably came here expecting to face some social challenges, challenges around integration, challenges around assimilation in the society. And it took them, and it's still there's a fair bunch out there who do not see the political challenges emerging in front of us. right? So what we are noticing is that while the uh, issues were of faith uh, up until about five years ago where Hindus were kind of questioned and um, ostracized even, today it is uh, today that that is happening, that marginalization is starting to happen even on the political front. Uh, the, the silver lining to all of this is that, especially with 370 and anti-CAA, movement, uh, we are noticing that Hindus are organizing quite expeditiously now. Uh, There's almost a sense of urgency at this point in time. Um, And that is happening because now the Hindus are noticing that there is a systematic and very dangerous anti-Hindu movement at play. It's not just about being anti-India. There's actually the kernel of this movement is being anti-Hindu because this is not about just questioning India's constitution or the political motives of its leaders. It is about demonizing the Hindu identity at at its core. So, uh, So that awakening, that Hindu awakening is definitely happening but what I would like to see is, is Hindus become proactive uh, in, in understanding how the landscape is emerging. Clearly, anti-CAA um, movement in the United States or opposition to 370 or opposition to Hindus and, and India in general, uh, I think are good case studies for us to take and, and remind uh, the Hindu folks that this is how it happens, this is how it all starts, and this is why it is important to get more organized.
I, I, um, I see what you're saying. And, um, I, I really do hope that, uh, that this served as a wake up call and, and more, um, more and more Hindus become assertive and speak out and do so proactively, you know, to, to talk about who they are and what they stand for and don't do so in a reactive mode after someone else has painted them in a negative light. So, uh, yes, I think we should probably end on that positive note. Yes, absolutely. It's not all doom and gloom. And, and maybe uh, one of our next conversations could be about uh, the good that has come out of it and, uh, and how it is probably setting us up for, uh, uh, for success in future. So that said, Venkat, thank you again very much and we'll talk soon. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.